It is week three of the 2023 college football bowl season. This is the We Hit Your Team podcast, a proud member of the VSN Collegiate Network. I'm Kelly Ford, and with me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Zach King. Kinger, the final week of bowl season as we know it is here. How are we doing? Doing great. This is it, Kelly. One more time, last full slate of the season. This is the last time we'll be talking about multiple college football games until next September. So I have to take full advantage of it. Home stretch here for everybody. Games all day, every day. You got to love the week between Christmas and New Year's. Get the game started 11 noon all the way until midnight. I mean, it's, it's one of the best sports weeks of the year. Also up there with those other couples I mentioned previously. But take full advantage of it, man. Last weekend for it. It is the last weekend for it, King. We will miss it when it's gone. We know that. King, it's been nice, you know, the last few weeks during conference championship game week, during Army-Navy, and during the first two weeks of bowl season, it's just been you and me, kind of back to the roots, just the two of us chopping it up, talking about these college football games. But King, as we both talked about, one of our favorite parts, or actually my favorite part about this show, as much as I love talking college football with you, is having the opportunity to bring on guests to the podcast and just talk with them, get their perspective, get their feel on all these games. And King, oftentimes we're inviting the guests, right? Like we've identified someone who we've gotten to know, you know, through social media or whatever as someone who, hey, this person, you know, they're an expert in the college football space. They're an expert in analytics or in betting. And we've tried to bring people on that bring a good dynamic and flow to the show. But there are some people, King, who earn their way onto the show. And that is not to say that we wouldn't have invited this individual at some point because clearly he is an expert. But he got this appearance because he beat you, he beat me, and he beat about 175 other people during the regular season We Hate Your Team Pick'em competition. Our guests today, King, are 2023 regular season ESPN Pick'em Competition champion. His name is Jay. You might know him on X as Surf Trectonics. Excuse me, Surf Trectonics. Jay, welcome to the show. It is an absolute honor to have you, and I'm only a little bitter that you ended up beating me in the competition this year. How you doing, man? Oh, it's great to be here, Zach and Kelly, but I kind of cheated. I have nine different accounts, and you guys didn't lock the, the pool. <laughs> so I, I might have switched one out on you. That a is... little bit of a competitive advantage, but hey, I respect it and I love it. That's how you game the system right there and maximize your chances to win. Let's go, Jay. I love that move. I absolutely love it as well. King, I don't even know how you lock the, the pool. Like I'd love to figure that out, I guess. Jay, <laughs> as I've said, hey, that's a good that's a good point and a good segue, though. So awesome. I have talked at length about my feelings towards uh player opt-outs in bowl games, transfer portal, all these things that are changing in college football. I don't get mad at these student-athletes that are making these decisions. They're doing what's in their best interest, and they're doing things within the structure of the operation that's set up in front of them. Jay says, hey, I'm looking at this structure, this bull pick competition. This is These are the rules. I'm playing by the rules. I'm just going to be better at it than anyone else. Jay, that's incredible. Welcome to the show. Thank you for sharing that tidbit. I've got to do some housekeeping on the back end, I guess, to figure this out. But here we are. You earned what a this. way to kick it that's off. That's amazing. You earned this appearance. Jay, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your college football fandom. Like, how, how did you become a college football fan? If you don't mind, like, where do you live within the country? Uh, I know we've worked through some logistics making this appearance happen. Just like everything and anything and everything about yourself 
that you're willing and able to share. We certainly want to hear it. And then I know uh, King and I definitely have some additional questions about your picks uh, that I know we want to get into. But for now, just take it away, man. The floor is yours. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm a, I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, so I'm a weary Husker fan. I'm okay. looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. But it looks like <laughs> Matt Rule might have pulled it out for us with this new five-star recruit from Georgia. So hopefully he built that defense and hopefully we'll have a good year next year. But yeah, I grew up watching college football. I've always watched college football. Been in these uh, ESPN pools for 12 years, so I might have a little little nine-account edge on you guys. But uh, yeah, I was in the military, came out to Hawaii, and this is where I'm at. I love it. And being in Hawaii, King, we, we've talked about this in the, in the build up to this. We're used to managing two time zones. I'm in Eastern, Kingers in Central, and we have in the past had guests from either of these time zones. We've had Mountain time zone. We've had Western time, Pacific time zone, excuse me. We have never tried to manage the schedules around the holidays, no less, of Eastern, Central, and Hawaii time. Here we are. We made it happen. I'm very excited. Jay, you you said you've been doing ESPN Pick'em competitions for 12 years. I, I, I got to know. And I know so you say I got like the nine accounts. And so you're able to you know play a few different strategies probably. For the one that won it all, the Surf Trek Tonics, the one that won it all, how did you go about making your picks? I got to know. I, I I was very happy. I think I finished fourth maybe in our standings. I was very happy. The model performed very well. You edged me and everyone else out at the end. I got to know, how'd you do it? What's your process? Just tell us about that. Well, I've been doing it for about, like I said, 12 years with a group of friends. And a couple of years ago, I just made a little matrix and I did nine different accounts. And every week you just pick the losers or upsets and one different on each account and just kind of swap them around. It worked out pretty good this year because I actually won some groups. I was in your group a couple years because I like the name. We hate your teams. I was like, I hate my team. I should definitely yeah. join that group. It's <laughs> awesome. Yes. Okay. So, so Jay, that, so that's your strategy then right there. I was going to ask you, how did you, Kelly was asking specifically about the one that won it, but I, how did you go about, you know, making the changes to each individual scorecard on a weekly basis? And so it's really the same scorecard with just one upset, different upset every single week. Yeah. I just wrote them on a, or every one separate upset in each individual entry. Yeah. I just wrote all nine down in the notebook and then just rotated the picks for each one to make them a little different. So one upset, one upset, on the first account, one upset all the way down to nine. And you just kind of adjust okay. it that way. Well, that strategy obviously worked out very well for you. Like you said, coming out on top in our pool, you said potentially some success in some other pools as well. Did you win one with your buddies this year? Yeah, yeah. I won uh, three of them this year out of 10. So, yeah, it was a definite success. Fantastic. Is this your first time ever winning over your 12 years? Uh, Yeah, three – Three number ones. I've won a couple groups a couple times, but never three number ones. Absolutely phenomenal. Jay, I got to ask. So you're a Nebraska fan. You said Matt Rule, and, and, and I agree. King and I talked about this on the podcast, you know, when he was hired last year, and we said um, we both thought that he was the guy that could could bring Nebraska back to national relevance and significance. Maybe not to the level that they had in the mid '90s or in the '70s, right? Winning national championships on a on a year in year out basis, or being in the national championship picture, excuse me, in a year in year out basis, winning multiple national championships, but to bring Nebraska back to where Cornhusker fans want to be. And that's just relevant. Part of the conversation, there's too much history and tradition at that program to not be. 
we saw what he did at Baylor. We saw what he did at Temple. We saw what he did at Baylor. Uh, the NFL, of course, is a totally different ball game. Makes his way back to college. We were excited. Didn't know if year one was going to be the year that it happened. Certainly made some strides. And now, as you said, getting Raiola at quarterback to come in and play for the Huskers next year, it seems to be pointing up. So Nebraska is your team, and there's a lot to be excited about. Now that you've lived in Hawaii for a period of time, have you adopted the, I always want to keep calling them the Rainbow Warriors. I think they dropped Rainbow and they're just the Warriors now. To me, they're the Rainbow Warriors. Have you adopted Hawaii as kind of a number two team for you, or is it just Nebraska all the time? Uh, it's, it's There's a lot of uh, college football history, uh, rich college, or I mean uh, high school football. They produce a lot of players like Tua Tagovailoa and Jaden Delora for Arizona. He brought them mm-hmm. that great second half of the season milton mckenzie he was injured uh in 2018 with usf he would have went to the nfl he was at a high squad here dylan gabriel he transferred to oregon now he was at oklahoma and uh, of course marcus mariota cole mcdonald colt brennan yes there's uh 92 players i think in division one from hawaii playing in division one on the mainland you know unfortunately that hawaii just can't keep the players here no, t- 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 totally. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Marcus Mariota is the one that always comes to mind for me. And I do feel like uh, like some of those West Coast programs and the, well, what's formerly the Pac-12 now, like Utah really comes to mind. And I know they're not all Hawaiian, um, but there's certainly a lot of like American Samoa and, and um, island players uh, that, that play in programs like that. And they year in and year out have great teams. So you're right. If Hawaii could just keep some of those players at home, maybe they become a power out there in the West Coast. And you wonder why, too, Hawaii. I mean, obviously, there are a little bit limited resources out there, but the concept of, of, you know, living on Hawaii Beach right there, I mean, great facilities. Well, they're improving the facilities. I wouldn't say Hawaii had great facilities. They just redid the football stadium. So things are improving out there. But no, you're right, Jay. Ton of talent from out there. Uh, Have you had the opportunity to go see some of the high school football games in action? Is there any, you know, legitimate teams in, in your area? Yeah, I went and saw Milani Trojans play a couple times. They're really close by. Uh, as okay. far as, that's about it. The traffic's pretty bad, so don't go to the other games. Here, what do you think about that? He's saying traffic in Hawaii is bad. You're sitting there in the suburbs of Chicago. You got anything to say? Yeah, well, <laughs> I can't say I've ever been to Hawaii, so I don't know. It's probably a different experience, but I know all about the traffic and how frustrating that can be. I have been to Hawaii one time, Jay. It was for my wife and I's honeymoon. I know, probably real original. Not many people go on their honeymoon to Hawaii. We did. It was a week. It was incredible. We spent it in Maui. Um, Did all the touristy things, of course, uh, because, again, that's what we do, or that's what you do when you go there. But it was incredible. I have often told my wife, um, we're both from central Indiana, her, her family's here, business is here, everything's here. Like, we're not moving. If we were to ever move, Hawaii is definitely a place where I think uh, would be an okay place to live. Last question from me, Jay. In Hawaii, what is your absolute, and again, you probably get a lot of tourists that ask you this thing. I'm not even going down that road. What's the, the best thing that you've been able to do and experience by living in Hawaii, not just visiting, but living in Hawaii, maybe something that most people aren't able to do because they don't live there. They're there for, you know, a weekend or a week or whatever it is. What's the one thing you've enjoyed the most about living in Hawaii since you've been there? Yeah, it's just the ability to go to the ocean every day and not have to worry about it being cold. Get some spicy ahi pokey for breakfast and yeah, just enjoy it. Did you have any ahi pokey this morning before we recorded here? Yeah, Jay? I had a little for breakfast. 
Oh, I absolutely love it, and I don't even know what it is. What is what is Aki Pokey for those that don't know? Oh, it's a fresh fresh caught tuna, and it's kind of like sushi, but they chop it up, but then they put a bunch of seasoning on it. It doesn't sound that great, but once you eat it, it's really good. I have it. never had pokey, but I have only heard good things. So that's as a guy who is a sushi fan, I feel like that's something I'm gonna have to check out here in the near future. Yeah, it was a gateway food to sushi for me. Gateway food to sushi. I absolutely love it. King, I think that's the first time we've talked about gateway foods on the podcast in our three years. I absolutely <laughs> love that. King, something we've talked about kind of week in and week out here on the podcast. We'll do it one more time. The holidays have come and gone. Uh, at least the, the Christmas holiday has come and gone. We have others during this festive season. Perhaps you're like me, and maybe you didn't get all the presents you were supposed to get uh, for the people in your life, and you're looking for something last minute, something that you need uh, to repair a relationship or make sure that you're staying on top of the things you need to. Where can our friends go, King, to get that last minute gift that they can give away? Well, you know where they can go, Kelly. They can go check out Home Field Apparel. That's premium vintage college apparel, 15% off first-time buyers using code Variety Sports. You said it, Kelly, the Christmas season has passed, but it's still not too late. Go spend some of that money you might have got from Christmas. And for all of you college football playoff fans, Michigan, Washington, they've got some great new playoff gear, playoff lines that have just released. Make sure they go check it out. Retro, old school, very cool stuff. Not too late. Make sure you go check out Homefield and take advantage of that promo code before it is too late. King, you talked about the playoff, and we're going to talk about the playoff on this episode. It is here, the pinnacle of the college football season. Why many of these teams play the game, start out in August, and try to get to this point? We'll get to those. Before we get to those, we've got the New Year Six. But before we get to those, King, we still have four more non-New Year Six CFP Bowl games that we have not yet broken down. We've been busy the last two weeks, just you and I, breaking down every single bowl game included and the ESPN Bull Mania competition, which, as we now know, Jay's got a couple of entries for. Uh, so he'll be looking to see how can he match all those up as we move forward and try to win the Bull Mania competition as well. Let's start with the TransPerfect Music City Bowl. It is Maryland and Auburn. Jay, we'll start with you. Give us as much or as little on this game in terms of breakdown as you got, and then ultimately give us your winner just straight up. No against the spread here. Who's your winner straight up, and how many confidence points? We're going 1-43 to 43 during Bull Mania season. You use every number once. 43, your most confident, one your least. Transperfect, Music City Bowl, Maryland, and Auburn, Jay. I'd have to go with Auburn. I heard there was a lot of uh, sit-outs and transfers from Maryland, so I put uh, Auburn at 23. Maybe if um, Tiger Baloa was planned, I'd pick Maryland, but I heard he was sitting out. So He is sitting out, and I do think that is absolutely key here, especially with regard to uh, who wins the game outright. Kinger, what about you? Uh, no Talia, that make the difference for you as well? Yeah, definitely. Auburn's six and a half point favor here, over under 47 and a half. I don't think we are going to get a ton of from either offense here. Auburn's obviously going to try and keep it on the ground as much as possible. Peyton Thorne is going to play for the Tigers. Terps aren't bad on the defensive side of the ball, a lot front on the defensive line, only allowing 3.7 yards per carry. To me, this really feels like a grind of a game, but I think Auburn is the better football team without Talia there, so I'm taking the Tigers for 11. 
I'm going to join you guys on Auburn. I'm a bit more confident than both of you. I'm going to take the Tigers for 29. Both Maryland and Auburn finished minus two in net one possession wins this year. What's that mean? They each lost two more one possession games than they won this year. So it's not too hard to envision a world in which each of these teams actually has an extra win or two to their name. But as it is, they enter with seven and five and six and six records, respectively. Talia not playing. Obviously, this Maryland team is going to look significantly different than they did during the regular season. But for at, at full strength throughout this regular season, this team, by my numbers, was the best Maryland team since 2003. They finished number 33 overall in my power ratings. In the preseason, I had Auburn number 29, 6.4 projected wins. At the end of the year, Auburn's my number 29 team, 6-6 six and six record overall. So pretty much nailed Auburn. The offense a little bit worse than expected, the defense a little bit better, but overall, the model was pretty good on the Tigers. At full strength, this would be a pretty compelling game, and I'd make Auburn about minus one. But no Talia, among others, mean Auburn should be able to find a way to win this one a bit more comfortably. Like I said, give me Auburn for 29 points. Next, the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl. Kinger, let's start with you. It is Wyoming and Toledo. Yeah, Wyoming three and a half point favorite over under 44 and a half. Great Arizona Bowl last year. Anticipate a pretty good matchup in this one. We got a good offense versus bad defense here. Toledo, top 30 in points per game this season, playing a tough Wyoming defense. They come in ranked in the upper third in yards and points allowed per game. But Wyoming offense, though, they have been awful, especially the last quarter of the season. Bottom 25 in a lot of those major offensive categories. Toledo's got a pretty good defense by max standards. But I don't, so I don't think this is the week that we are going to see Wyoming magically figure out this offense. The under seems like it'd be a pretty heavy play here. Wyoming has been very good spread team this year. They're going seven. They're coming into this game seven, three, and one against the spread. Potentially something to keep in mind here. I like Wyoming to win this one in an ugly one. I'm taking them for 14 confidence points. King, I'm going to join you on Wyoming right around that confidence level, too. I'm going to take the Cowboys for 15 points. Both of these teams had good seasons. Uh, this is the best Toledo team by my numbers since 2017. The Rockets finished in the top 20 on my overachievers list. They also improved their power rating by about two points over the course of the year. For Wyoming, this is the best team they've had in Laramie since the COVID-disrupted 2020 season. They finished in the top 30 on my overachievers list, improving their power rating by two and a half points. So give me Wyoming for 15 confidence points. Jay, you joining us on Wyoming? Or are you taking Toledo here in this barstool? sports arizona bowl yeah i got toledo at five points the mac teams they can always be surprising and ohio played really good i'm, I'm not really sure about the who's sitting out for toledo but i just took him at five points all right so we have our first disagreement i always like when we disagree on the pick segment it's always much more fun so jay is going to be taking the the rockets here for five kinger and i on the cowboys for 14 and 15 points respectively the next bowl here it is our ReliaQuest bowl it is lsu and wisconsin i will take this game first um if we look at this game for, i'll start with lsu i'm going to take lsu and i'm going to take them for 34 confidence points this is the best LSU team by my power ratings since that 2019 Joe Burrow-led team that won the national championship and is considered by many uh, to be one of the best college football teams to ever play the sport. This team had high expectations coming into the year. I mean, it's a top-five power-rated team. They actually end the year power-rated with, with a raw rating slightly better than they began the year. However, their ranking is slightly worse. They still end the year as a top-10 team, but not top-five where they started. So it was a good year from a rating 
uh, differential perspective, but from a win-loss expectation standpoint, not quite as good. My numbers projected about nine and a half wins for the Tigers. Of course, they get to nine and three. They open the year with a loss neutral site to Florida State. They lose on the road at Ole Miss, and then they lose on the road again at Alabama. Um, this is still a really, really good team, though, and I do expect them to win this game. This Wisconsin team, it was not a good year. I I thought Luke Fickle would be a good fit at Wisconsin. I'm not suggesting he's not going to be. Um, I just thought, I talked earlier about how Matt Rule, I think he's the guy. He can get it turned around at Wisconsin, or at uh, Nebraska, excuse me. And I thought, you know, it might take him a little bit, a year or two, maybe three. I kind of thought Fickle would come into Wisconsin and just be ready to roll. Um, he, he was not ready to roll. This Wisconsin team was not ready to roll. They were downgraded six and a half points over the course of the year. That ranks number 120 out of 133 FBS teams. And they won just about two fewer games than I projected, putting them at number 112 on my over under achiever list. This is the worst team in Madison by my numbers since 2008. Jay, what do you think about this game? LSU, Wisconsin. Yeah, I got the LSU at 30 points. Yeah, Wisconsin seemed to have a down year this year, transitioned and with the new coach. Not great. I don't know, King. Did you think uh, Fickle would get it figured out a little bit earlier? Again, it's it's not over. I'm not writing them off in, in all of eternity for the future, but we're transitioning away from divisions. That's going to hurt Wisconsin in the Big Ten. And I just really didn't like what I saw, King. Yeah, I felt like this was a year that Wisconsin really could have taken advantage of because, once again, the Big Ten West was down just about across the board. There weren't any really good teams in that entire division. So it felt like there was some momentum with Fickle, changed the style that had been so kind of run dormant in Madison for so many years. It, it didn't go as well as planned, and I'm not out on Fickle yet either, but I do look at maybe there is maybe not quite as much excitement or belief going into these next couple of years that he's the guy that there was heading into his first season. But I really think the, the issue for this game, I mean, we're getting Garrett Nussmeyer replacing Jaden Daniels. He's obviously opted out for the NFL draft, and we've seen him plenty of action before. And I think the LSU offense is going to take a little bit of a hit, but they're going to be able to score some points in this one. That was Wisconsin defense. It's really not that great. I think they're getting a little bit of that Big Ten West bump that we talk about for the Badgers. And I think we are going to see LSU really have no problem running the ball and still be able to use that athleticism that they got on side. So LSU defense has had their fair share of problems, but we talk about Wisconsin. They barely average over 200 pass yards per game this year. If they can get even if LSU can even get a little bit of stop in the run game, I think this is going to be no problem for them. So I'm taking the Tigers for 37. All right, so we are all at LSU, all with at least 30 confidence points. Next, we have the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, our final non-New Year's Six or CFP bowl game that we will be breaking down here. It is Tennessee and Iowa, and I think late-breaking news as of just a couple hours ago now at this point, um, I believe Joe Milton is now not playing in this game as well. So we will definitely see what this New Year's Day bowl game is all about. Let's start with you, Jay. We've got Tennessee and Iowa. Yeah, I took uh, Tennessee at 36, but Iowa's just one of those teams that somehow they always win with punts and fumbles and safeties, so I don't, you never know. You never know. I'm going to touch on that as well. King, I'm going to go to you first, though. The Cheese at Citrus Bowl, it is uh, Tennessee and Iowa. Jay is right about the Hawkeyes. They win in ugly ways, but the line's been pulled from this one, Kelly, because you said Joe Milton is out. That means Nico Imaleva will start for the Vols, five-star freshman, Getting excited for this one. I'm excited to see what he's got. Vols obviously feel that, uh, you know, they're ready to to make that transition, or Joe Milton made that decision easy for them. And I wonder if it is going to give the Tennessee offense a little bit boost. Definitely stagnant at times this year. 
But the matchup to watch for me is that Tennessee running offense versus that Iowa rush defense. These are both very good units. Anticipate that to be pretty evenly matched throughout. And I am just going to take Tennessee in this one just mainly because of the lack of production from the Iowa Hawkeyes offense. I mean, Tennessee has the bodies on this D-line to compete, slow down that run game. They have a top 30 run defense, and Iowa just frankly does not have the quarterback play to beat you through the air. So I'm going to take the Vols for 20 confidence points. I'm going to take Tennessee as well. I'll go between you guys in confidence. I'll take the Vols for 32 points. I'll start start with Iowa because, Jay, you kind of uh, alluded to it here. It was an interesting year for Iowa. From a win-loss record perspective, this team won two more games than my preseason realistic expectations pegged them for. I projected eight and four, like on the money, 8.0 regular season wins. They, of course, get to 10 in the regular season. So that plus 2.0 in the differential, that puts them number 21 on my overachievers list. So you're thinking, wow, really good year in in, in Iowa. Um, And it was a good year. But the power ratings tell a little bit different of a story. This team came into the year number 27, had them as the number one defense in the entire country. The offense, I was like, oh, gosh, number 86 is where I had them pegged. Turns out that was really generous on that side of the ball because this team actually was downgraded more than a field goal over the course of the year. They end the year power rated number 42 for me. The defense, still really good. They never fell lower than number three. They end the year number two. So an incredible defensive unit, as we've seen year in and year out from the Hawkeyes. But the offense, guys, fell all the way to number 125 for me. I mean, you're talking about there are eight, nine programs in FBS, not Power 5, not the Big Ten, in FBS that fielded worse offenses this year than Iowa. I just... it's a tale as old as the tenure here for 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 Ference as as the OC, which again he he won't be in 2024. We know that now. But if they just could have fielded an offense that had a pulse, you know, this year, previous years, you're talking about an Iowa team that potentially could have not just been in the Big Ten championship game, but won the Big Ten, maybe made a CFP. Uh, we will see what the new look offense looks like next year under a new coordinator for Tennessee. There's really not a lot of positive spins I can put on. At least Iowa exceeded the win-loss expectation. Tennessee finished about a half game worse, half a win worse than I projected. That's number 80 on my over-under achiever list. We're downgraded about two and a half points in the power ratings over the course of the year. That's number 88 on that list. Uh, this was the worst Tennessee team since 2021 for me. So not not that long ago. I should have mentioned for Iowa, despite making it to Indianapolis, the worst Hawkeye team in my power ratings since 2014. So I'm taking Tennessee. I'm going to take them for 32 confidence points. All right. We're getting into the New Year Six now. Probably go a little bit deeper into these games since there's a little bit more on the line, a little bit more to break down in many of these cases. We have first, we're going to go in chronological order. So we have the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. Zach, let's start with you. It's your favorite Ohio State Buckeyes out of the Big Ten taking on your favorite out of the SEC, the Missouri Tigers. Who you like, Kinger? Ohio State's a two and a half point favorite over under 49. And I'm going to preface all of our breakdowns of the year six, Kelly. I hate how much I have the SEC in these. I'm just going to be honest (laughs) that when I was going through the picks, that just kept going through my mind, but it is what it is. Just, I'm still anti SEC, but just the way these games worked out. For the, no, for, the record, goes, I, for the record, for the King record, is, King is remaining record. anti-SEC for anyone that <laughs> for, for was the record, questioning. I'm still, exactly. So I guess we'll just go ahead and say I'm taking Missouri. My, I'm taking them for 35 confidence points, Kelly. I screwed up my confidence point numbers in this. It was too late to do anything. So all of these games are going to be backloaded here. If I go six for six, I'm going to be feeling pretty good about it. But it's going to be a lot harder doing these. And I actually think that this is going to be a pretty big game for Ohio State and Ryan Day. 
I'm sure this is really not with a position they wanted to be in, but this is a dangerous Missouri team. And I see a world where Missouri can win this game by two scores and the Buckeyes have an embarrassing end to the season. And I don't think Ryan Day wants that. They got, he's got to get the guys ready to go on this one. There's been a ton of live movement. Ohio State opened as a favorite, moved all the way to Missouri, being a couple-point favorite. Now it's back to OSU two-and-a-half. I'm probably going to take the points from Missouri in this one. The offensive trio, Brady Cook, Cody Schrader, and Luther Burden, scares me if I'm that Ohio State defense. they got playmakers across the board. Missouri comes in averaging over 34 points per game. This is a top two to three offense that Ohio State has played all year. Ohio State does have a good defense. But most of their starting defense is intact, so I think they are going to be competitive here. But this is still a very dangerous Tiger offense. And the question is, what is this Ohio State offense going to look like with Devin Brown? He's only got 22 pass attempts this year. He's got Travion Henderson, which I think really helps him out to have a guy of his skill set coming out of the backfield. Marvin Harrison Jr. is still pending. No Julian Fleming. We just know, don't know, are they going to be able to continue that same consistent production that they got McCord this year? I don't think it's going to be a massive drop-off, but again, he's stepping into a big game. This Missouri defense can compete. They are down a couple starters, down a linebacker and one of their better corners. So this is going to be a close ball game. But since it's close, I'm going to take the points with Missouri, and I'm going to take take them the win. We're going go Tigers this week. Yeah, King, the line movement has been crazy, and it's it's kind of hard to put your finger on why because there hasn't been a lot of news that's broken when some of these big shifts in the line have happened. As you said, right now it's Ohio State minus two and a half at least at time of recording here about two days, two and a half days before this game will kick off at full strength, which these teams are not. My model makes this game Ohio State minus 11 and a half. Um, this Buckeye team, though, has a lot of opt-outs, a lot of players doing different things here. Um, quick look at the Ohio State resume. 11 and 1, with their most notable wins being on the road at number 10 power-rated Notre Dame and at home against my number 4 power-rated team, Penn State. The Buckeyes' only loss is by 6 points on the road at my number 1 power-rated, and more importantly for you know CFP selection, the committee's number 1 ranked Michigan team. In a game in which Ohio State had the ball with a minute left and a chance to take the lead with a touchdown, there was a lot of talk about one loss Georgia being one of the four, quote, best teams in college football. Wasn't much talk about Ohio State. I am here to tell you, Ohio State, from both a power rating and most deserving ranking, like objective standpoint, Ohio State had a stronger case for CFP inclusion than the Bulldogs. What Ohio State didn't have is that two-time reigning national champion tag, which, of course, Georgia did. I've made my thoughts clear on how much that should or more applicably shouldn't matter in these conversations. Clearly it did. It doesn't matter. Neither one of these teams deserve to be in the four-team field. It just was interesting to me that all the talk about, oh, best teams, Ohio State didn't garner any of that conversation, which I thought was interesting. At full strength, Ohio State is my number two power-rated team with the nation's number three defense and a currently season-worst ranking number 17 on offense. That offense just continued to slide throughout the year. All the regular season wins are great. But Ohio State's very clear about its goals each season. And, and I was at Big Ten Media Days. Players said this. Coaches say this. They say it on the record. They say it off the record. They are very clear about what their three goals are. Number one, beat, as what, as what they say, that team up north. Number two, win the Big Ten. And number three, win the national championship. Those, those, are, those are their goals. The last three seasons, Buckeyes are 0 for 9 in terms of achieving those goals. Just going to leave that right there for people to think about. For as disappointing as Ohio State's season ended, Missouri fans, they have to be overjoyed with how the Tigers' entire season went. In the preseason, my model pegged Missouri as the number 38 team with a top 20 defense and a middle-of-the-pack number 57 offense. Over the course of the year, though, the Tigers' power rating was upgraded 8.5 points. They currently rank number 15 in the power ratings. That's good enough for the eighth-best improvement in all of FBS with regard to power rating movement preseason to current. The defense, they ended up as a top 25 unit, as expected. 
but it was the offense guys that shot up my unit rankings. They ended the year ranked number 11 and at 10 and two, the Tigers won four more games than my preseason realistic expectations projected. That is second best in the nation behind only New Mexico State, who won 4.2 more games. So of the teams that played 12 regular season games, Missouri won more with regard to preseason expectations. They exceeded those more than any other team that played 12 regular season games. Their losses to top 10 power-rated LSU and top five power-rated Georgia are the only blemishes on the resume. This is the best team that Columbia has seen since 2013, per my historical ratings. Win or lose, it's been a season to remember for Missouri. And I'll tell you what, Eli Drinkwitz appears to have things rolling just in time for the arrival of the 12-team playoff next year. I say all of that, King. I'm taking Ohio State. I'm taking them for one confidence point. I just couldn't do it. Could not not take Ohio State. I'm rolling with the Buckeyes. So, Jay, we need you to break our tie here. Who do you like in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic? It's Ohio State and Missouri. Well, I have to kind of go with uh, Zach on this one, the eight-point uh, spread swing and all the 15 to 20 players sitting out. I took Missouri at 27, but then uh, Ohio State, they have a freshman quarterback plan, I believe a red shirt. But if you remember the Western Kentucky game, they had the coach's son, and then the starting quarterback decided to start, came back from a 28 to nothing deficit and went into overtime and win. So I think maybe maybe Kelly's one point might be good on this one. I just, I, I'm kind of like King. I'm King. We're sitting here. We're trying to, you know, project out. We have to lock in some of our early picks, like weeks before these games are currently talking about. So, these things are changing in live time during bowl season. So I'm kind of like you, King. My numbers are a little bit off the charts here at the end, but I did from the very get go. Regardless of what the line was, I reserved my one pointer for Ohio State here. So uh, I am alone though, taking the Buckeyes. Kinger on the Tigers for 35. Jay taking Missouri for 27. Our next game is the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Uh, it's between Penn State and Ole Miss. I'm going to take this one first here, guys. For years now, Penn State has been, at worst, the third best team in the Big Ten. Unfortunately for the Nittany Lions, the two best teams in the Big Ten have resided in their division. That would be Michigan and Ohio State. I just talked about how Missouri is peaking at the right time as we usher in the 12-team CFP era. Penn State is among the programs that will likely benefit most from the expanded playoff field. And the Nittany Lions are certainly the program that benefits the most from the Big Ten doing away with divisions starting in 2024. At full strength, Penn State is my number four power rated team. Their only losses are coming by eight points at Ohio State, who I just said is my number two power rated team, and nine points against Michigan, my number one power rated team, who we're going to talk about in a little bit when we break down the CFP. This defense for Penn State, they've been top five all season. While the offense performed at a top 25 level, 12 points against the Buckeyes, 15 points against the Wolverines, that's all this offense could muster. If the offense could have just doubled the output in those games, you say, well, Kelly, double. It, it, you can say that about anything. If you just double your offensive output. Guys, I'm talking about two scores against really good teams, really good defense. If this Penn State offense could have found a way to score two more times in each of those games, if you break it all the way down, it's really not that big of an ask. Yeah, it's an ask, but it's not that big of an ask. I say this because I'm trying to highlight the fact Penn State is not that far away from being your number one seed in the CFP. I mean, you win those two games. Again, they lost them both, and neither one was all that close over the course of the game. You win those, you're the number one seed in the CFP. Penn State's right there. I know James Franklin can't win big games. That's what everyone keeps saying. Jim Harbaugh couldn't win the big game either until he did against Ohio State. Now he needs to break through in the playoff. We'll see if he can do it. Per my model, this is the best team in Happy Valley since 1994. I do think Penn State is primed to make some moves here in the 12-team CFP era, much like Missouri. 
Much like Penn State, though, Ole Miss's resume only includes losses to top five power rated teams on the road against both Alabama and Georgia. First, let's just take a quick timeout. Like, what did Ole Miss do, guys, to draw the ire of the Southeastern Conference office? Road trips to Bama and Georgia in the same season? I mean, dude, playing in the SEC West, that's always tough. And it's hard enough just to, to manage that. This is absolutely brutal. So I don't know what Lane Kiffin or someone down there in Oxford did, but uh, oh boy, you did not make the people in the SEC office very happy with this schedule. Um, unlike Penn State, though, the score lines in their biggest games here for Ole Miss, they weren't able to keep it close. They fell by 14 in Tuscaloosa and 35 in Athens. This is still a quality Rebel team. In fact, at number 16 in my power ratings, this is the best team from Oxford since Hugh Freeze had the Rebels flying at a top five level back in 2015. With 2.4 more regular season wins than projected, Ole Miss finishes in the top 15 on my overachievers list this year. And an early look at that 2024 schedule suggests the Rebels just might have enough to make a CFP push in the inaugural 12-team field. At full strength, my model makes this Penn State minus 10. These teams, they're not at full strength, but there's not as many opt-outs in this game as we've seen in some others. I'm taking Penn State. I'm taking them for 14 confidence points. Jay, what about you? Yeah, this is kind of a coin flip game. I didn't really look into it too much, but I took uh, Penn State at 19 points. All right, so a little bit more confident than I am. King, what about you? You joining us on Penn State, and if so, you more or less confident than us. Yeah, I got Penn State for 28 confidence points. This is definitely my favorite of the year's six matchups. And, Kelly, you highlighted some of the program's kind of successes in the recent years. Both these teams have been regulars in the New Year's Six Bowl. It's going to be a competitive game in this one. I've locked in Ole Miss plus five in this. Penn State going to be without Chop Robinson on the defensive side of that ball. I think Ole Miss has the ability to score on, on that Penn State defense. They've got so many weapons there, starting with Quinshawn Judkins at running back. Jackson Darts really played good football. Penn State, they score a lot of points, but when you look at the offensive production, they're not really that explosive on the offensive side. They don't average over 400, or over 400 yards per game. They have not really – they've really struggled in that passing game. The Ole Miss defense has gotten better as the season's gone on, but I still think Penn State's going to be able to score in the ground game. It's going to be too much back and forth. I'm going to take Penn State because they are going to be physically more dominant in this one. So I'm, I'm on the Nittany Lions. We are all on Penn State in this one. King are the most confident. 28 points. Jay for 19. I'm taking Penn State for 14. Next up is the Capital One Orange Bowl. Jay, we're going to start with you. It is the Florida State Seminoles against the Georgia Bulldogs. Oh, that's a that's a no-brainer. Georgia have 43 points. Pulling no punches. Jay taking the Bulldogs for 43. I can't really say I blame you. I'm going to get to that. But, King, let's go to you next. You with Jay here? Pretty uh, supremely confident in the Bulldogs? I'm, I'm with Jay. I'm on him for 40 points here. I don't really have a lot to add to this one. I mean, Florida State, they're they're without a huge portion of their team here. There's no Jordan Travis, the injury. Tate Rotomaker's now out. They're going to be starting a freshman quarterback or a redshirt freshman QB. Defensive line, that's the best part of that defense. Their best player, Jared Verse, has opted out of this game. Georgia's had a lot of folks hit the portal, but Carson Beck's back, and I think the offense is going to roll in this one. I think there's probably going to be some motivation for Kirby in this one, too. I'm sure they want to beat Florida State as much as, as by as many as possible to show that maybe, hey, you know, just because we lost to Alabama, should, still could have been very competitive in that playoff, which I think everybody would have agreed with Florida State potentially as well. But this is a tough game for the Knowles. They've got too many opt outs. Florida State's in trouble this week. So I'm all over Georgia. 
I'm going to join you guys. I'm taking Georgia for 42 confidence points. And the only reason I'm not at 43 is because I've decided this year I want to save my 43-pointer for the national championship game, put a lot on that game, even though it'll probably end up being a pretty close spread depending on who we're looking at. But I'm reserving the 43 for that. So this is my most confident non-national championship game that we're looking at. And I really hope, guys, that... I really hope Georgia doesn't end up demolishing Florida State. I mean, they, they can demolish Florida State if, if they want. My hope is, if that happens, I hope people don't then say, see, Florida State didn't deserve to be in the playoff because that is so just out of touch with anything and everything going on in this sport. Obviously, the Florida State team that you're going to see in this Capital One Orange Bowl is not the Florida State team you would have seen if they played in the CFP. And it's possible they could have got rolled in the CFP. We've seen blowouts in semifinals and national championship games in other years of the CFP, but we will never know. That game will not take place. Um, this Florida State team is a shell of the one that earned their right to be in the CFP. So please, 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 regardless of the outcome of this game, it, it, I'll, I'll flip it around. If Florida State wins this game, uh, folks, I, 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 I'm sorry to say this, Please don't then use that as, see, Florida State should have been in the playoff. I agree with you. They should have been. But that's regardless of their performance in this game. Win, lose, whatever in this game, that doesn't change the fact of what these teams' resumes looked like on Selection Sunday. So had to get that said. I'm taking Georgia at 42. A quick breakdown here because um, Georgia, really, this is going to be kind of the team we saw this year with the exception of a few, a few key pieces. But Florida State, they are the shell, much like Ohio State. Georgia's season is defined by an ill-time loss to a rival. If Georgia loses any other game this year, any other game, and then beats Alabama and Atlanta and finishes the year with one loss, we're sitting here talking about how the dogs are likely favorites to pull off the sport's first three-peat since Minnesota in the mid-1930s, 90 years ago. That's the last time we saw it. If they lose any other game, they're in that position. But that's the beauty of the four-team CFP. Any given loss just might be the dagger that dashes your biggest dream. That's what we're giving up starting next year. But for this year, this is the, quote, worst Georgia team since the COVID-disrupted 2020 season. So um, take that for what it is, because never mind the fact that the 2021 and 2022 dog teams were among the best to ever play this game. Uh, this Georgia team is still really, really talented. They rank number five on offense, number six on defense for me, and they finished number five overall in my power ratings if both teams were at full strength, which they are not. My model would favor Georgia by just four points, and this would be an absolute must-see Orange Bowl. Obviously, though, these teams are not at full strength, and that's largely on the Florida State side. I won't rehash the injustice that was done to Florida State any more than I already have. I don't really care what you say, how you rationalize it. The Seminoles should have been in the playoff, period. They aren't. Here we are. From a power rating standpoint, the Knolls are number 11 in my model uh, at full strength. This offense was number seven when Jordan Travis got injured. They've fallen to number 19 without him. So that's a long way to fall this late in the year when you have that much in-season data built up. So certainly he makes a big difference to that offense, which is what the committee pointed to. With Rotomaker, though, you're probably looking at a top 30 to 35 unit Rotomaker, excuse me, um, that's likely good enough when you have a defense like the Knowles do. This unit started number 19 in August and only got better as the season progressed, ending the season uh, at their highest ranking of number five. Of course, Rodemaker not playing either. He's now in the portal. So who knows what we're going to see from this Florida State offense. With 2.8 more regular season wins than projected, Florida State finished number 13 on my overachievers list at full strength. This defense is legit, and this was the best Knowles team we've seen in Tallahassee since Jameis Winston won the Heisman and lifted the crystal ball back in the final game of the BCS era after the 2013 season. Guys, let this sink in. We will never again 
see a non-CFP bowl game involving two teams that have a combined one loss. Next, our final game before we get to the CFP. It's the Verbo Fiesta Bowl. Kinger, let's start with you. It is Oregon and Liberty. Well, we've seen crazy things happen in this game before. It always is a wild bowl game, but I think we are going to see Oregon handle Liberty pretty easily in this one. I just think they are really the more physical football team, and it's going to show in this one. Liberty has not played anyone with guys like Oregon has in the trenches, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Oregon's be able to limit Liberty in the run game. I don't think Liberty is going to be able to stop Oregon's run game, so I think this is just a tough match for them. Knicks is playing. Oregon doesn't really have any many opt-outs. It looks like most of their guys are going to be a go here. So there's no reason to think that Dan Lanning won't have these guys fired up and motivated for this one. So I'm all over Oregon. I'm taking them for 39 confidence points. I'll join you, Kinger. I'll be all over Oregon. I'll take them for 40 confidence points. At full strength, my model makes this Oregon minus 20 and a half. There is so much to like about this Oregon team. The Ducks are my number three power-rated team with the nation's number one offense and a top 20 defense. In a 12-team CFP, Oregon gets in. And get this, if the Ducks face off against Washington again, Oregon would be favored. I, I know it's comical at this point. I know we can disagree, guys. I'm just telling you. We might see that situation happen in the future, and that's how it would go down. In the preseason, Oregon had a power rating of 14.7. They were my number 13 team in the country. Hindsight, they were much too low. Currently, the Ducks are power rated with a 24.9 rating. That 10 plus point upgrade ranks number four in the entire country. Per my historical ratings, this is the best team in Eugene since 2014, a year where they were quarterbacked by none other than Hawaii's own Marcus Mariota. As we talked about earlier, this was the team that other CFP contenders did not want to face in the playoff. They can thank Washington for not having to, uh, and then in their next breath, they better hope that the Huskies don't bite them as they did the Ducks twice this season. In the preseason, I talked about how Liberty was set to face the easiest schedule in all of FBS, but because my model had the Flames power rated at just number 86, there was still just a 1% chance to go 12-0. Well, now at number 47 and 13 wins later, Liberty took full advantage. Only five teams, including Oregon, improved their power rating more than the Flames over the course of the season. And only five teams exceeded preseason realistic win-loss expectations more than the Flames, who won 3.6 more games than projected. Per my historical power ratings, this is the best Liberty team since the Flames made the jump to FBS in 2018. The offense is legit good. I mean, this is opponent adjusted. They're a top 10 unit in the country for me right now. This defense, their FBS average number 65. King, you said we've had some exciting festivals in the past. It was 17 years ago. Boise State beat Oklahoma in one of the most memorable Fiesta Bowl games ever. Uh, people forget. I actually want to say Boise State was either favored or a very, very small underdog in that game. People sometimes forget about that because it was such a great game. and it was, But it was not David and Goliath. This is David and Goliath. Just last year, the G5 rep Tulane took down a Pac-12 team in USC in their New Year's Six game. That wasn't David and Goliath. I think Tulane was only a couple-point underdog in that one. It's going to take a Herculean effort here for Liberty to pull off the same feat against the Ducks in this one. Give me Oregon for 40. Jay, you with us on Oregon, or are you taking the long shot Liberty Flames? Yeah, I got Oregon. I, I was surprised to see this matchup, um, but I guess just Liberty made the New Year's Six. It's kind of weird how that pans out sometimes. I suppose if this was the 12-team playoff, this would be a playoff game. I'm not sure what Liberty was ranked, if they are the top 12 or not, but... I might be going for Liberty. Depends on how the games go. I might switch it over 42 points to Liberty to try to get to 
catch up on the fifth or sixth place that I'll be in. I, I get it, man. Hey, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We'll mark you down for Oregon for 42 now. Uh, but yeah, all, all picks subject to change until they lock right before uh, the game start, and you might need that Hail Mary. Yeah, Jay, you're right. In the 12-team playoff, Liberty, um, they are, the, the the this year, the G5 representative. They were ranked number 23, I want to say, but that was the highest G5 uh, champion ranking. Ironically, Boo Corrigan representing the committee says uh, Liberty just found ways to keep winning. That was the rationale for them over SMU. And at that point, I wanted to scream at the TV and say, oh, well, Florida State just kept winning too. But I digress, and we've talked enough about it. We are all on Oregon. Uh, Jay for 42, myself for 40, Kinger for 39. All right, guys, we have made it to the CFP. It is the two biggest games of the year to date, depending on who you ask. But by and large, most people place the most stock on these games. This is what the biggest programs in the country compete for every single year. Our first game, again, we're going in chronological order. We've got a long title. It is the CFP semifinal at the Rose Bowl game presented by Prudential. There we go. It's probably the only time I'll say it that way. This is the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all, the oldest uh, bowl game that college football has to offer. My favorite bowl game. Someone posted something on Twitter the other day, or X the other day. Uh, what's the most iconic venue in all of sports? My response was a gif of an uh, overhead shot of the Rose Bowl. I said the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day. But when a I didn't say this part, when a big team, Big Ten and Pac-12 team are playing, we will no longer get those matchups. But the Rose Bowl continues to be one of, if not the most iconic venues in all of sports for me. I will take this game first. We have the Michigan Wolverines ranked number one in the committee's ranking, making their third consecutive playoff appearance, looking for their first playoff win taking on Alabama, the number four ranked team in the committee's final rankings. Alabama, of course, no stranger to the playoff. However, I talked about this early in the year. Haven't talked about it since. If Alabama fails to win the national championship game this year, it will be the longest stretch that Nick Saban has gone at Alabama without winning a national championship. Guys, he last won one in 2020. It has not been that long, but since he got there in 2007, he has never gone three consecutive years without winning a national championship. That is what's on the line, not just in this game, but if Alabama is successful uh, in the national championship against the winner of the other game, which we're going to break down here in a second. I will take this one first, though. Um, here we go. For me, Michigan, they've been my number one power rated team since the midpoint of the regular season. They boast the nation's number one offense and the number seven defense per my numbers. The Wolverines have the highest floor of any team in college football. They simply don't play poor games. The seven-point win at Maryland, who I have power rated in the top 35, is probably their worst performance of the season outside of maybe sleepwalking in the first half against really bad opponents early in the year. And even in that game against the Terps, you can say they likely had an eye already turned towards the game against the Buckeyes the following week. Depending on the source you use, Michigan has at least nine national championships. But per my historical power ratings, this is the best team ever fielded in Ann Arbor. They really don't have a weakness. On the other side, not only is this not the best Alabama team they've ever fielded, this is the worst Alabama team, at least per my power ratings, since 2013. But as I've said time and time again this year, Alabama did not need to be better than the previous versions of itself. The Crimson Tide only needed to be better than the teams on its schedule in 2023. And outside of a week two game against Texas, that's exactly what Alabama was this year. If Michigan has the highest floor of any team in college football, Alabama has the highest ceiling, at least of the teams in the CFP. 
one week after needing a fourth and goal from the 31 to beat a 6-6 six and six Auburn team, Alabama took down the two-time reigning national champs in Atlanta. The Tides defense is currently number seven in my unit rankings, but has been ranked, but has been ranked as high as number four. While the offense bottomed out at number twenty-nine early in the year, they rebounded all the way back up to number twelve. My model makes this Michigan minus four and a half. So strictly based on that, the recommendation would be to lay the points with the Wolverines. But with a month to prepare, I think it's more likely than not that we get Alabama's A game. And if we do, I think it's enough to win this game outright. Either way, the winner of this one will be favored in the national championship game. I'm going to roll with the model because that's what I do. I'm going to take Michigan for 19 points, but I'll tell you guys what. I think Alabama, they probably end up winning this game. But my official pick, it's Michigan, minus 19. Jay, let's go to you here. Who do you like here, Michigan and Alabama? Yeah, this is probably one of the closest matchups of the bowl season, but uh, I had just I took Alabama at 25 at I always think back to that Michigan TCU game last year when they just sat on an egg and couldn't perform in the in the show. So maybe Michigan will win, but uh, I took Alabama. I'm going to talk more about that TCU team uh, during our next breakdown. And you're right, Michigan, it's third year you've been in the playoff. Can they get it done? Can they win a playoff game? We will see. King, we need you to break the tie. And based on the comment you made earlier about your SEC picks. I have a feeling I know where you're going, but I want to hear it straight from you. Michigan-Alabama in the Rose Bowl. Okay, so I'm going to preface this by saying that I'm rooting for Michigan to win the national championship. If there was one team that I would say that I would want to see hold the trophy at the end, it's going to be the Michigan Wolverines on this. Washington's going to be a close second. I picked Alabama this morning when I was going through everything. I have changed from Michigan, and I have now laid the points with Michigan. And the reason that I am doing that is because if I'm looking at this, I think Michigan is the more complete football team here. And you look at it, these are two of the most physical football teams in the country. They do play similar styles. They like to run the ball. They play good defense. They work off the play action. Bama is going to be up there with the best defenses that Michigan has faced all season. And they do have guys at all three levels that can wreak havoc. Now, the Wolverines, they have a very good sound offensive line. They're going to be down their starting center, Zach Center. Bama has two edge rushers in Chris Braswell and Dallas Turner that rank top 10 in pressures and pass rush win rate. They maybe don't have the sack numbers, but these guys are both really legit. They have the ability to get after the quarterback, and they are going to test those Michigan tackles. Bama's been better against the run the second half of the season, but I do think the team has been a little bit susceptible in this area. We look at some of these quarterbacks, you know, Jaden Daniels, LSU, Peyton Thorne, Auburn. Dual QBs have gotten them, as well as teams that try to run it between the tackles. And that's something that I think Michigan has the offensive line to do in this game. They've got two guys in Corman Edwards that can really handle the workload. And if you look at J.J. McCarthy, yes, is he a guy that's going to tuck and run it and be the most athletic guy out there? No. But he is athletic enough to scramble and make plays with his feet. And so I think that's an area that we are going to see Michigan really have some success this week. Now, the Bama has a lot of talent in that defensive back room. They are a strong group. Numbers would not say they are elite tier in maybe regards to production, but they've played a lot of good passing offenses. They've given up some big plays, but this is where I think they have a matchup advantage is against the Michigan wide receiver group. Now, Roman Wilson has impressed me. He's made a lot of strides this season, but I think that run game is really going to be the advantage for Michigan this week. I don't foresee J.J. having a big day through the air, and if that does, maybe look at coming from that. Some of Maybe some of these tight ends and running backs – that wide receiver crew for Michigan is probably going to be the weakest matchup from, from my perspective on that side of the ball. And the Bama offense, they've been up and down a lot this year. They've looked really good at times. They've made the big plays when they needed to, specifically in that Auburn game. 
But the Michigan team is good. They is a defensive unit, second overall in the country. We have to look at that scheduling a little bit. Bama, no doubt, has had the more challenging schedule this year. But Michigan, they have, I mean, they've dominated everybody, like you said, Kelly. So I think from, from Alabama's perspective, I think it comes down to Jalen Milrow. I've likened what I've seen from this Bama offensive line. I think that's going to be a, a big part of this game as well. Hopefully they can get the run game going with Roy Dell Williams. I like him as well. He's a guy that runs hard. But Milrow's going to have to make the throws. And if Michigan can pressure him, not let him get outside the pocket and extend those plays, it could be a tough game for Bama. Saban, stuff to bet against him, you know, having this much time to prepare with a very good football team. But I'm taking the points with Michigan. I'm going to lay them. Give me Michigan. Give me him for 42 confidence points. Go Big Blue this week. You'll have to excuse me, King. I just got back from the restroom. When you started, you said you're rooting for Michigan to win it all. I had to go uh, throw up a few times. Uh, the Ohio State fan in me, dude. Get out of here. I don't even want to hear the Big Ten card or any other reason. No. Big Ten card. I don't I'm, care. I'm, I'm, I don't care which for team. Jim. I don't care which team wins the national championship as long as it is not Michigan. Um, I will say the silver lining, if Michigan were to win, I have stated for a long time, I want Jim Harbaugh out of Ann Arbor. Not for any other reason than he beats Ohio State now, and I really don't like him. He has scared me for a long time. He's now put it all together, and they continue to beat Ohio State. Whatever it takes to get him out of Ann Arbor, I am certainly for. I hope it does not take a national championship because there's nothing worse than seeing your rival not just beat you time and time again, but then lift the trophy um, over everybody. That would be terrible. But Kinger taking Michigan for 42. So King and I both on Michigan. Kinger for 42, myself for 19, and we've got Jay over there on Alabama taking them for 25 confidence points our next game it is the cfp semifinal at the all-state sugar bowl one of the oldest bowl games in college football history just behind the rose bowl it is the sugar bowl jay we're going to start with you we have the number two washington huskies taking on the number three texas longhorns who you like in here in this one yeah i was uh I was pretty surprised by washington how they pulled off that win against oregon in the pac-12 championship game um that was another tough one, uh, but I'm going to go with Washington. I got Washington at 12 points. I just have a feeling they might be the surprise team this year and uh, pull it off for the Pac-12. It's just it's just a gut feeling, but uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Washington at 12 points. Can't imagine a better way to send off the Pac-12 than with a national championship in football, their final year in existence. There would be something pretty cool about that with how sad it is what's happening to that conference moving forward. All right, Kinger, he's rolling with the Huskies as the underdog to win it outright 12 points. What about you? You going with Washington as well, or are you going with the favorite Longhorns? Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna take Washington in this one as well. we got to rematch the Alamo Bowl last year. Huskies prevailed. We're in line for another good one here. I think we're going to see some points in this one. Hopefully we're going to see some points. Uh, I'm willing to bet it's going to produce more than the Rose Bowl a couple hours ahead of time. But, Kelly, I think I potentially know where you're going to be going with this TCU connection here in a little bit because the fact of the matter is, is Washington, they've been very good in one-score games this year. They come into this 6-0 in one-score games, including 4-0 in games decided by three points or less. We've talked about, you know, maybe there could be some regression here, but you and I have had the discussion. We know luck is involved in, in college football to a certain extent. No doubt the Huskies would probably agree that some good fortune was on their end in this year, but I'm not really looking that as a factor um, that, that is going to influence this game. I, I, I think it's going to be a one-possession game. I think we're going to have a very good football game this week, but if Texas wins, I'm not going to say it's really due to anything, a regression factor. We saw just how this Washington team has been playing, right? There was a lot of questions middle of the half through way through the season. 
offense was stalling a little bit. The defense really took a step back, particularly in that secondary. But we saw the disrespect, nine-and-a-half-point favorites versus Oregon. They took it personally, and they came out and played phenomenally in that Pac-12 championship game versus a very good Oregon team. And they are going to face an even better front on that defense, led this week by Byron Murphy, led by Tavondre Sweat. And then Texas has got a great linebacking crew with Jalen Ford. He's a hunter, leading the team in tackles, has only gotten better year over year. There's only five FBS teams that have run the ball less than Washington this year. We saw the success they were really able to get against Oregon. I 100% was surprised by how they really got that run game going. I'm not sure if we are going to see that same success versus that Texas front. But Washington's a team, if they got to open it up, they got to put it in Penix's shoulders. They can do it. The receivers in this game on both sides of the ball, it's really just kind of nuts to think about. Very excited to watch these matchups. You got Polk and Adunze for Washington, Adonai Mitchell and Xavier Worthy for Texas. I mean, it really doesn't get much better than that right there. So those are the matchups I look forward to watching in this one. Washington has showed me they are physical enough to test the Longhorns in the run game. But I am still concerned about that Washington secondary. I think Sark's going to have a game plan ready. Ewers has played good football down the stretch. And so that Washington pass defense, yes, they played better against Bo Nix and Oregon. But it was shaky a little bit all season long. So that's an area... Texas is pretty good with the explosive plays and the deep balls. That's where I look to see them focus and really take advantage of against Washington in this one. So coming down to it, I trust Michael Penix in this one. I believe the four points is going to be too much. I wouldn't be surprised if Texas wins, but I think Washington is right there at the end. They've got the dudes. Michael Penix is the confidence right now, and, and I'm just going to take him over Quinn Ewers at the moment. I think he's proven in big games that Penix can, can win them, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm on the Huskies for 41. Yeah, the similarities between TCU and Washington, they're both Purple King, right? That's where I'm going with that one. No, uh, I mean, they are, but uh, that's not where, where I'm heading. Yeah, you, you're right. And I actually think, King, um, you said Washington 6-0 and in one possession games, 3-0 and and field goal or less games. That was regular season. They then added another one against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, right? So it's actually, they're now 7-0 and in those types of games, 4-0 and in field goal games, two of them against those Oregon Ducks. So it's just... I mean, it's uncanny what Washington has been able to do, and they certainly deserve respect for that. I will come back to them in a second. I want to start with Texas. Guys, Texas is back. It was an all-too-common saying this past, really, decade that people either laughed at, rolled their eyes at, and then laughed, or simply ignored. It was like the, the boy who cried wolf. It was said over and over and over, and it never ended up being real. Well, it finally happened. That wolf finally came. And my power ratings, along with others, forecasted it was building towards this. Per my historical ratings, this is the best Texas team since 2009. That was the year Colt McCoy got injured in the national championship game against Alabama. This Longhorn team is legit. The offense ranks number nine. The defense ranks number 10. Overall, I have the Longhorns number seven in my power ratings. It's actually one spot lower than they were in the preseason, but their raw rating is about three and a half points better now than it was in August. This will be the best opposing offense the Longhorns defense has faced all year. But from a pure talent standpoint, it's clear why Vegas makes Texas the favorite. I have said on numerous occasions this year that the 2023 Washington team reminds me of 2022 TCU. And it's not just the fact that they're both purple. More times than not, though, Husky fans get offended by me saying that. It's not an insult. Yes, the Horn Frogs got blown out in the national championship game against Georgia. But they made the national championship game. 129 other programs last year would have loved to have been in TCU's position. But much like TCU a year ago, this year's Washington team, they just keep winning. 
Even when power ratings like mine, and yes, Vegas, suggest they might not, they keep finding ways to win. And I think Kalen DeBoer, I mean, e- even more so than, than Sonny Dykes, like Kalen DeBoer, that guy just wins. Regardless of what level he's at, if FBS, Division One, whatever it is, the dude just wins football games, and he's done that this year at Washington. Led by Heisman Trophy runner at Michael Penix Jr., Washington won 3.5 more games than my preseason realistic expectations projected, making the Huskies my number five biggest overachiever in all of FBS. This offense has been ranked in the top five for me since week two, even spending a week at number one. But it's the defense that has been better than expected. I pegged this unit at number 50 in the preseason. And after a 5-0 start, it had risen to number 23. Since then, though, it's been a steady decline, settling in around number 40 for the last month of the year. That's the key to this game for me. Can the Washington defense, the only unit ranked outside the top 10 nationally in this game, get enough stops to win this one? My model has doubted the Huskies before. It's doing it again just like it did to TCU in the semifinal last year. I have Texas minus five and a half, so pretty close to the Vegas line here. I'm telling you, though, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Washington just finds a way to get the win, just like TCU did in the semifinal last year. I'm going to roll with Texas in the model, 22 points. So I'm rolling with, with Michigan and Texas. My gut tells me Alabama and Washington are going to win these games. Like, it's just, you know, it's the way it is. And so I'll roll yeah. with the model and I won't be surprised at all if I miss them both. Most likely I'll probably end up getting one. Don't ask me which one because I really don't know. So to recap it, uh, we do we have another disagreement here. Uh, Kinger and Jay, both on Washington. King for 41, Jay for 12. I am taking Texas for 22. So we agreed kind of across the board with the exceptions of Jay took Toledo over Wyoming. I took Ohio State over Missouri. Jay took Alabama over Michigan. And I took Texas over Washington Kinger. You were never on an island on this episode, at least with regard to picking the outright winner. But guys, that'll do it for our picks segment. We've gone through now, King, you and I, each of the 42 bowl games, including the CFP, including the FCS Celebration Bowl. Of course, we have one more. It'll be the national championship game. But we've gone through all of them. Jay, thank you for joining us for these ones. Uh, we'll, we'll get some some last words from you. But before we do that, Kinger, where are we with the, the, the betting card? How has the last week gone here in bowl season? What bets do we still have out there, at least at time of recording? And what are we adding here in the final week of uh, bowl season? I've decided that I'm starting to a couple of the the future bets that I put in with some of these opt outs and last minute changes. There's so much line movement here in this bowl season that the games I bet more than a couple days ahead of time have actually not really gone in my favor. I think we're back to 500 on the bowl season after a two and oh Tuesday yesterday. We got two games pending tomorrow. Right now, we're still on SMU minus 11. That line has moved a little bit. But then also we have Arizona, Oklahoma over 62 and a half tomorrow night. I have bet both of the national or the national semifinal games with Michigan minus two, Washington plus four. I'm on Ole Miss plus five. And that Missouri line actually just moved again from two and a half to three in the favor of Ohio State. So I'm going to take the Tigers plus three as well. The card's gonna get. We're gonna get a little aggressive this weekend, buddy. We're gonna we're gonna go for a strong finish here. Hit the momentum hard. I like some of these plays. I just want to make sure we're getting the good lines here because as I've seen last week, uh, as we are seeing, there's still even up until game time, there's still significant changes going on. Bowl season is just a different animal, but we're battling here as we always are, and this is it. One one last go around here. Love it, King. Well, Jay. 
want to say thank you for joining us. Before we get out of here, please. Uh, well, first, any any uh, bets this week that look good to you, Jay, whether it's money line or against the spread or anything that you want to share with the listeners? Because, hey, you know how to pick them. You won our regular season competition here. Anything you want to add to, to your betting card here this week? Well, one thing I have figured out is if you get a ESPN Bowl Mania group, you just look at those 10 games and don't bet on those games every week. <laughs> yeah. Somehow. Up in the air, right, because it's the truth. They give you toss-ups, right? Yeah, somehow they know how to pick the upsets. There's at least two or three upsets in those 10 games they give you. So if you want to avoid those games, it's probably the good thing to do is what I figured out. I love it. Yeah, we talk about it every week. People are like, why do you guys do against the spread? King and I look at each other, we're like, because uh, it's hard enough to pick the outright winner in these games. They're, they're picking like the hardest games here. People are like, Kelly, your model, man, it really must not be very good because you're missing on a lot of these games. I'm like, no, ESPN is picking like the subset of games that are the most difficult to project. Look at my, look at what the model says about every single game in FBS over the course of the entire week or over the course of the entire year. It does very, very well. ESPN's picking out these very, very difficult matchups that's hard for anybody to get. And yeah, we have a hard time uh, picking the winners just outright. Forget against the spread. That's a whole different whole different ball game. But Jay, appreciate your insights. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we get out of here, remind everybody, where can they find you on X and really just anything else that you want to plug? Plug away because I think people are going to want to know where they can find your stuff because it is so good. Yeah, I have a YouTube channel, Surf Trek Tonics. And if you want to figure out the size of spaceships and state and space navies, you definitely check it out there if you're kind of nerding out. And, uh, okay, well, I'm nerding out. You're intriguing me now, Jay. I got one college football video, but, you know, I'm trying to branch out a little bit. The playoff video is in there somewhere. I love that. That is awesome. We will we will treat that out, Jay, from the, uh, from the We Hit Your Team account. That's incredible. I'll tell you, I narrowed out uh, and all this college football data and everything. I've kind of confined myself to the the sports space of the nerding out. Maybe I need to branch out. Go check out Jay's uh, YouTube page and see everything he's got going on over there. But Jay, thank you again for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Congratulations again on winning the regular season competition. It's kind of like what I say during college basketball. Um, it's it's almost more difficult. It's not almost. It is more difficult to win a regular season league or conference title in basketball than it is to win the conference tournament, right? Like teams can get hot in the conference tournament and they can win two, three, four games in some cases that they need and punch their automatic ticket to, uh, to the NCAA tournament. And that's great. And we celebrate that. It, it takes more than getting hot to win the regular season. And I liken that to the ESPN pick'em competition People can get hot in bowl season and, and pick some winners here and, and get on a roll. And there's that's great. And we, we're going to have that winner on uh, next year to, 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 to celebrate their, their achievements in bowl season. It's a lot more difficult to win the regular season competition because you have to be in it week in, week out, and follow that process that you outlined earlier. So congrats again on winning that. This was so much fun. We hope everybody enjoyed it as much as we did. Kinger and I will be back next week breaking down the national championship game for whoever might be participating in that one. But until then, this has been the We Hate Your Team podcast, a proud member of the BSN Collegiate Network. Enjoy week three of the 2023 college football bowl season.